Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Hello, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. My name is Dr. Luis Sandoval, and this is the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. First, I just wanted to say how happy I am to be part of the Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. What a wonderful network that brings our faith stronger, uh, that brings our Catholic faith to the forefront, and that helps us really get through some of the more troubling times of our lives, and that's really a support uh, to help us overall interact with our families, with each other, and be stronger in our faith. Uh, ultimately, I hope that this show can blend our faith with mental health and all the different issues that we might be facing. It's not always an easy topic to talk about, but it is something that I feel is very necessary because it's easy to forget that there is a blend of our faith and mental health, and then there's a blend of our faith and physical health, and really a blend of all three at the same time because all three are happening at the same time. A little background on myself. I was born and raised here in Southern California. I grew up in the city of Santa Ana, uh, which is about 85 to 90 percent Hispanic. I uh, loved growing up there. I did my university studies locally, really a product of the University of California system. I did my undergraduate studies in biology or pre-medicine at University of California, Irvine or UCI. I was then fortunate enough to discern a few things, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go into medical school right away. So I actually went into the seminary and studied for the Diocese of Orange for a year, um, and I discerned that that wasn't the path God was calling me at that time. So after being in the seminary, which was a wonderful experience, I came back and I decided to go back into medical school and start my application process. I was lucky enough to attend the University of California at Los Angeles for medical school, or UCLA. And then while I was there, I rotated through a whole lot of different specialties. I was thinking about becoming an orthopedic surgeon, or I was thinking about going into obstetrics and deliver babies, and really the whole breadth of medicine I found very, very interesting. And ultimately, because of that, because I liked so much of every field, I thought I was going to go into family medicine, and that's what I was going to do. I was going to treat moms and babies and dads and grandparents, or as we say in family medicine, from the womb to the tomb, because family medicine doctors actually assist at deliveries, and we can help people out throughout their stages of life. And then we're also there to assist us when we're elderly and when it's time for us to start getting ready for those later stages in life. Um, family medicine doctors are great. But while I was doing family medicine and I was in the clinics, one of the things that really struck, struck out at me and really kind of made me think was as we were seeing these patients, pretty much everybody had some kind of mental health issue. And by mental health issue, I don't mean necessarily completely serious. It could have been as simple as a depression and anxiety or something that wasn't being treated. Other patients had uh, severe psychoses or bipolar disorder and they were brought in by their families. And for as much as I wanted to help them out with that, I realized that when we were doing family medicine, we would treat their medical issues and we would help them out with their medical issues. We would get you know, their diabetes under control, their cholesterol under control. And when they had these issues uh, in terms of mental health, we would always recommend that they go to their psychiatrist or their therapist. But lo and behold, some of them weren't really comfortable doing that or they didn't want to be labeled. Um, and especially as I was getting to see more of the Hispanic population, the Spanish-speaking population, uh, culturally it just wasn't something that 
people were comfortable with. And so I started to realize I'd really be interested in learning more about psychiatry and mental health because it seems like that can affect a whole lot of things in terms of the physical world and really in terms of the spiritual world. I always knew that I wanted to incorporate my faith into my practice no matter what I did. So I was lucky enough after medical school to find a residency that combined both family practice and psychiatry. Uh, I did that residency at UCSD or in San Diego, um, and that was a five-year residency, and I finished my practice there. And as I was doing that, I realized I really, really enjoyed the the mental health component, the psychiatric component, um, because on the one hand, there weren't a whole, there are not a whole lot of uh, Spanish-speaking psychiatrists out there, so I think that that really helps the community out. But as a whole, uh, I really found mental health very interesting, um, not just culturally, but for everybody in general. I think that, I mean, I, I say the Hispanic population, but really it's a hard topic for most people to address or to talk about because there's still a lot of stigma around it. You know, there's a lot of stigma around mental health and what it means to be, quote unquote, normal or mentally healthy. And I don't like to put labels on anything. I don't like to necessarily label something as normal the same way I don't like to necessarily label something as completely unhealthy or completely uh, mentally ill, because I think at the end of the day, we all have different experiences of our mental health and how we perceive the world and how we interact with each other. But what I'm hoping as a common thread is that we have similar experiences of our faith. Now, there's so many varieties. And what I mean by similar, I don't think everybody has to have the same experience, but the similar experience that we ultimately get to Christ, because it's still the same Christ, regardless of our faith experience. It's the same Christ that we get to. So as long as we get there, Christ is going to know us individually. And if we can combine and recognize our faith and our mental health aspect of life and the different things people experience, um, I think that we're all going to be so much better off for it because a lot of times there's no better medication than Christ. So currently, I practice here in Orange County. I practice in the city of Santa Ana, and I do adult outpatient psychiatry. Um, what I'm hoping for through this show is that we can learn from each other, that we can learn from my experience, from me seeing patients and the different experiences they have, and see if that resonates with anybody really um, in terms of how do we apply our mental health experience to our faith and vice versa. How do we apply the important things of our faith, the truth of life, to our mental health experience? Recently in society, we've seen so much upheaval and we've seen so many things um, that really don't sit well with us. You know, believe it or not, one of the prescriptions that I tell my patients is that they shouldn't watch the news. I tell them to read the headlines and know what is going on. I want people to be aware about what's going on in society. But it can be very trying and very hard. It can produce a lot of anxiety uh, for people to watch the news all the time because we have to ask ourselves, what are we consuming? What's our consumption in terms of our our internet, our news, our electronic experience. And by electronic, I also mean television and television shows. You know, we're seeing so many things, but what's that really doing to us? It's important to be aware of what's going on out there. But if we continue to just watch the same news and the same news cycle over and over, that can be pretty taxing on the brain and it can be taxing on us emotionally and it can really dishearten some people. I've seen this with a lot of my patients. Um, and what happens is, as we get disheartened, um, we start to lose sight of what's important. Uh, it's, we start to lose sight of what's important in our, our everyday surroundings and our faith because we sometimes we start to see things that are happening far away from us or really near to us. And we start to ask, well, what can I do? And I feel like I need to be doing more. And all of a sudden we start to feel, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but some patients have shared with me that they feel responsible sometimes or guilty 
um, about what's going on as if somehow they've contributed or they haven't done enough. And that can be a really hard way to feel. My response to that is always, well, let's look at what really is in our control and what's not in our control. Because one of the things that I worry about is that when we start feeling this way, we can start going down that route and we can keep going down that route of anxiety. We can start feeling depressed. And then one of the biggest concerns is that we fall into a despair. And then once we fall into a despair, the question is, how low is that going to go? Because once despair sets in, really what despair is, is a lack of hope. And mentally speaking, that's not healthy. And we know that spiritually speaking, that's far from healthy. You know, we talk about hope and we talk about it in mental health. Whenever I talk to patients who might feel depressed or who might feel anxious, one of the things that we ask them is, what are you looking forward to? Are you what we call in mental health future oriented? Meaning that there's something going on in your life in the future that you're planning for, that you know that your life is worth something and that you have value. And that's how we say, you know, ultimately when we make our assessment, we say, well, this person's future oriented, which really means that they have hope that something good is going to happen. And that's a great way to be. But you notice that hope is also one of our virtues. It's something that we um, pray for, faith, hope, and love, right? So we hope is it overlaps. It's not just a mental health thing to look forward to something. It's very much a, an alive, spiritual aspect of our lives that if we don't remember that, if we're not there, and if we're all to despair, we lose hope. And then I worry that some patients might want to end up committing suicide. They don't find that sense of life. They don't find that sense that they want to do something for themselves. They don't feel connected anymore to life, as we say. And if that's the case, then we really have to worry. And then we have to say, well, you've lost that connection to life. Mentally speaking, we want to bring that back. Spiritually speaking, we say, if you lost that connection to life, well, then you've kind of lost that connection ultimately to Christ because Christ is life. Jesus tells us he is the life. That is where life comes from. Um, and we really need to, to keep that in mind and keep that perspective. And so for today's show, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is recently I saw in the news um, some cases where a gentleman committed uh, or was trying, excuse me, he did not, he was not successful. He was trying to commit suicide. Um, and not only was he trying to commit suicide, but he actually took two of his kids with him in his car and he was going to drive this off a cliff and he was just going to end his life. And I read this recently um, and they were very lucky in that a police officer uh, saw this happening and came to their rescue and was able to, to rescue all of them. It's quite the story, and I want to go into more detail on that. But it really brings home to me that in our current situation and everything that we're going through, if we start to fall into despair, we start to lose that sense of connectedness. We start to lose that sense that life is definitely worth living, um, as Fulton Shee says, right? And so when we get back into that sense of, what is it that we're doing? Why am I living? What's my purpose? It always ends up coming back down to, well, where did I come from? Where's my spirituality? What is it that I'm hoping? So is to go through that article or to go through that case and kind of break down why it is that this happened, why it is that this person um, thought that they might want to end their life.
This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. This is Dr. Candival again. Um, just hoping to bring you. All right. Well, welcome back to the to the show here. This is Dr. Sandoval, hoping to bring you all some uh, good vibes and hope uh, in terms of the the chaos that might be going on in society right now and. Really, the chaos that might be happening for a lot of people in their lives. Um, there's a lot of my patients who uh, currently feel that they're not exactly sure what's going on. You know, there's so much crisis out there. There's so many people arguing different um, ideas and thoughts and beliefs. And really, what's happening is there's just a lot of chaos. There's there's a spirit of unrest, if you will. Um, I remember one of the uh, things that back in high school that we always talked about was school spirit. And what does what kind of spirit surrounds a school? And that was really something that struck with me because we talk about a school spirit and, and deliverance where I was talking about different spirits and things of that nature. But we're talking about a positive spirit in the high school people participated. They knew they were part of a group and that they were doing something positive. And even when it came to sports or something, you know, gosh, the school has great spirit. They're all in the same realm. They're all following the same uh, pathway. And ultimately what happens there is I'm hoping that we get back into that same good spirit in our country where, you know, we start to feel a common path and we start to feel uh, that we're connected and that we are really uh, uh, one one people. Um, recently, what I've been seeing in the news has been very disheartening and, and very hard to see and hear as a uh, psychiatrist. You know, a lot of people uh, feeling this despair uh, really turn to not feeling like there's anything going on for them, really not feeling like there's going to be much. And I read this story, a uh, very sad case about a dad and his two kids. And one thing that happened there is that there he was apparently texting his wife uh, very, very early in the morning, at around 4 o'clock in the morning, sending her texts, saying that, you know, goodbye to your children, say goodbye to your kids, and Boy, that didn't sit right with her, and she uh, immediately called the authorities, and she asked them to please help her. And they were able to find the location of the dad um, because of his cell phone. And as they tracked him down, they figured out where he was, and some neighbors saw what was going on as well, and they were calling uh, the police. And apparently this man had gone into his truck and taken his two kids with him, um, and they were sitting on his lap, and he decided to drive off of a cliff. Uh, and that, you know, what what would drive somebody to get to that point? You know, I haven't heard the, the fallout of the story, um, but we re- have to realize that this is not uncommon now. There are, there are more cases of people saying that they're in despair and that they feel like ending their life. 
mostly because of what's going on in the world and because they feel like some things are just not worth it anymore or like there's really no reason for their life. But the interesting thing with this case is that the dad brought the kids along with him. Um, he had him on his lap and he drove his truck off the cliff and they landed in, in the water. Uh, there was a cliff right next to the ocean there. Um, as I think about this case, I wonder why would you have your kids there? I'm not sure. I'd be curious really to find out what he was thinking, what was going through his mind, why he thought this would be an option. Um, and there might not be a good answer to it. There is sometimes as, as human beings, we do things and we don't understand why. You know, how many times have we done something and then we say, gosh, that wasn't me. You know, it wasn't me who did it. And you know, everybody says, well, yeah, it was because you're the one who did it. So, of course, it was you. But at the same time, something about us tells us that that's just not me. That's, that's not what I meant to do. That's not what I would normally do. That's not the person I am. And I think ultimately that feeling inside of us, this is where mental health people would say, oh, you're dissociating from the situation or you're trying to separate yourself now from, from what it was that you did. But I think on the spiritual side, when we do something that's wrong, we realize that's not in our nature. That's actually not what we're called to do. We're not called to do things that go against the laws of life, the laws of our nature. We're not supposed to uh, hurt other people. We're not supposed to hurt ourselves. So it would be fair to say, you know, that wasn't me. That wasn't who I'm supposed to be. Um, in this case, it was very interesting because this gentleman ended up going off the cliff. He had his two kids with him. But luckily speaking, uh, there was a police officer who saw this happen. And when he got there, he got the call, he got there, and he had been in the military before, and he said that thanks to his military training, uh, he was able to get there, he was able to jump in the water, he was able to get the dad and the kids out of the vehicle. Interesting thing to note, and this is where we start to see, gosh, when, when something like this happens, What's going on in society? There's nothing good. There, there, how, could there, how could we say that there's goodness in society when we see somebody trying to not only end their life, but the life of their children? You know, I don't judge the person. I look at the situation. I need to find out more. I need to find out what kind of despair they were in or, or why this happened. But this reminds me a little bit of one of my friends from the deliverance team when I was feeling a little bit despondent. Um, and I was feeling kind of down about a case we were on and what we were doing. And she said some very simple words to me. Um, she said four simple words, and I'll never forget that. Um, she said, you know, you got to remember, God is still working. And that really struck a chord with me because it made me really think, if I'm feeling distressed or in, in my own uh, feeling of uneasiness, i got to remember that if I have my faith, if I believe in, in what I read in the scriptures, if I believe in God, God is there. God is working. God is helping us out. And there's no reason to, to lose faith, even if, if it looks like uh, there's a reason for hope. i got to take that step back and realize, wait a minute, God is still there. Why do I bring this up now? I bring this up because as this case goes on, we have to consider a few things. There's too many coincidences, I think, um, that I can't deny that God is there. God is there even in some of these hard circumstances. Yes, this man was in despair, and he was going to take his life and his children's life. But let's look at what happened. So the car comes off the cliff, but all of a sudden there's a police officer there 
And not only is the police officer able to go and save them, the police officer saved them because he was actually part of a canine unit. He was a police officer who had a dog. And what he said is that he remembered that there was a long leash that they used to use uh, when they did their training practice with the dog. And he said, boy, if that leash can hang on to, to the weight of my dog, I might be able to use that to help some of these people get out of the water. So he used the leash. He used his military training. He was able to get the dad and the kids out uh, from that wreckage from, from the water. He was able to save them. And then they also said that when they looked at the wreckage, how was it possible that any of them survived? Well, the dad had the kids on the lap, and the parts of the car that got crushed were actually the passenger side of the car. Had the kids been in the passenger side of that car, they might not have survived that. But all of a sudden, they were with the dad. It's as if somebody wanted them to be saved. Somebody really was working hard to make sure that the dad and the kids were okay because they were not crushed. There was a police officer there who had training enough that he was able to get him out of this wreck that seemed like, you know, everything's going to be over there. It doesn't seem like there's going to be much of a chance for, for uh, uh, anybody to be saved from something along that, along those lines or that severe. But the police officer was there. He had his cord. The car was only crushed on one side, and everybody was able to be saved. And it appeared that everybody was going to be okay. I need to look at the – I'm curious to see how this case progresses. This has just happened yesterday, and I, last I saw, there weren't too many details out. But when I just look at enough information that I have now, when I just look at that information, I realize too many things happen at the same time, too many coincidences, if you will, for there to not be somebody looking out, for there to not be a God. God is still working. I believe that God had his, his eyes on them and, and said, no, not today. Today's not the day you die. And we're going to make sure that, that you get out of this wreckage. Um, I bring this up because in the midst of despair, it's easy to forget that God is looking out for us, or it's easy to not feel that God is looking out for us. Um, and that's one of the things that is very common. It's not something to hold our heads down. It's just more a, an idea that we need to take that step back and say to ourselves, hey, okay, things aren't going well. Where am I going to direct my energies? Am I going to get upset? Am I going to decide that everything's over? Or am I going to take my pain and that sense of despair and that sense that things might not be doing well and maybe walk over to the church and say a few prayers and maybe or just stop where i am and say a few prayers um, or talk to my family or reach out to somebody do a kind deed these are the things that are going to get us out of those moments because despair really turns us into ourselves it really makes us feel as if you know there's no hope and there's nothing that we can do and there are no actions left that can be done to save us but that really brings to mind that if we're in that mental state, if we're in that state of despair mentally, then we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to get help? Because if I already feel that everything's over and there's nothing I can do, um, then where am I in terms of my ability to open myself up to help? So it always brings me back to a, a gospel reading, and it's a gospel of Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. It's the very end of the gospel of Matthew. And it's at the very last sentence. This is when Christ is done with his ministry. He's already resurrected. He's gone to the Father. He's talked to his apostles. It's before his ascension. It's when he's giving them direction as far as what they need to do in terms of forgiving sins and expelling demons. And he's given them the final words. And his, the last words of that gospel are, and I just want to read it because I wrote it down. I don't want to get this wrong. It says, Behold, I am with you always 
to the close of the age. When Christ says he's with us, I don't think he's just with us watching us, because if we looked at what happened uh, while he was on the earth, he was very actively wanting to help us. He was actively there making miracles happen. He was healing people. He was bringing people back to life from the dead. Um, and ultimately, when Christ tells us these words, it's easy to say, I'm with you, but it's very different to say, I'm with you, which means that I'm still working for you. I'm still actively working for you. One of the challenging parts with that is, are we allowing God to work in our faith? You know, this case with this gentleman, I pray for him and I pray for his family. And I hope that, you know, from this experience, he's able to gain renewed hope in life, uh, renewed hope in whatever it is that was causing him despair to recognize that there might be a meaning for his life. There might be a reason why uh, this wreckage didn't take him and his children. I think it's a wonderful story where we have that chance or a second chance of life, so to speak. How many times do we see that in the gospel? How many times do we see Christ giving us second chances, whether it be that he's healing people from their physical ailments or that he's healing people from their mental ailments or their spiritual ailments, ailments, you know, he's, he's healing parts of bodies, he's healing relationships, and he's also expelling demons from people. And we see that throughout all the Gospels all the time. The key, however, is the element of faith. Faith is what, where we have the opposite of despair, if you will. Yes, we have hope. We have hope that things will get better. But then I got to put that hope in God, and I got to have faith in God. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, um, because there was another case of, of suicide of one of my patients that rings true uh, to these moments. But uh, more, to, more to come when we come back. Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com code VMPR live porn free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com 
and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back and support. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. And here's an easy way to support buy a house by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Because they're going to get you a agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to be here, and it's always a pleasure to be with our Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. Um, please don't forget to donate whenever you can or if you can to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Uh, you can donate by calling in or you can um, look online. But really, it's so important to keep the faith uh, going and, and the message going. And I think Virgin Most Powerful Radio is a wonderful medium for us to have that. Uh, we've been talking today a little bit about um, mental health and unfortunately how if we don't have hope in our lives, that can lead to despair. And really, in terms of the world of mental health, I, I always worry about uh, patients committing suicide or ending their life just because they're, they're feeling like there is no reason to live. Um, this can be very, very challenging. Um, and we've been talking a little bit about the chaos that can be going on in society um, and the different experiences people are having, be it of uh, violence or being worried about getting ill, being worried about death. Um, and if you're not feeling good right now, that's okay. You probably shouldn't be because there's a lot going on. It's okay to not feel good. And if you are feeling good, it's, it's okay too. Um, some people, I've had some patients really feel guilty because they say, you know, in the midst of all the chaos that's going on, I, I, I know so many people that lost their jobs and they're not doing well. And I actually have my job and I feel pretty good and things haven't affected me as much. And I also am feeling guilty. I'm feeling like I'm really not, uh, um, uh, doing what I should do. I, I feel like I, there's need to, I need to do more and I'm not sure what it is. If you feel guilty and if you, if you, because of you, you're feeling like, you know, you're in a good place and other people aren't really, I want you to take a step back and realize that feeling of guilt probably comes from compassion and it's okay. You know, we, we, I don't want to end up with there's something wrong. I'm guilty. I think when we feel guilty in those in instances, it's more because we recognize that we have been lucky and some people are not as lucky as we are. And our heart goes out to them. I think that that's really good. I think we need to recognize that our heart goes out to them. And that's where we start to feel like there's something more I want to do. If you're not feeling good, if things haven't been going well in your life or you're worried, that's okay too. This is where I tell people, it's okay to not feel good. Sometimes we get this idea in society that we're always supposed to be happy and that if I'm not feeling well, boy, there better be a pill out there to fix it or something because I'm supposed to be in a great place. When people look at their uh, social media, when people look at uh, all the different uh, um, avenues out there to put up pictures and to send out messages and to say different things, one of the things we need to remember is that sometimes these things look very, uh, like people are very happy all the time um, or 
as if we're not happy enough because I should be happy in that sense. And what I remind my patients is that these are just moments. These are just instances in life that people are sharing with you. And most people on, on a public platform are only going to share their positive experiences. You know, no, we never like to air our dirty laundry, as we say. We never are going to go out there and, and tell the world about all of our our downfalls, our insecurities, or things of that nature, for the most part, you know, we're going to put something on a public forum. We're going to want to put our best foot forward. Uh, but when you talk to these people who put these pictures up there, I think the pictures are great. I think it's great to share good moments. Um, but when you talk to the person and say, oh, when did you put that picture? What was happening? A lot of times they'll say, you know, it was just the moment we all stopped and we took a picture and it was, and we put it up there. But, you know, it wasn't the best time of the life or anything like that. It wasn't like, we're having, you know, it was, a, it was a wonderful picture and a wonderful moment, but uh, that was about it. And on the outside, it might seem like, wow, they, they're just perfect. Their lives are perfect and I'm inadequate. Sometimes this happens as well for people when they see certain commercials where everybody's happy and everybody looks perfect. And, you know, we compare our lives to that and we can't measure up. I bring this up because in the midst of chaos and the midst of all this, it's really important to keep perspective as to what is true and what is real. Um, our faith is what's always going to be true and real, even if it doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes we feel like we're really involved in our faith and we want to pray and we want to get into it. Other times we go through the deserts. We go through the dry moments where, boy, I've been trying to pray, but I, I don't feel I can't get into it. And that's okay. Ultimately, what I want to remind people of is God is always there as we were talking about, as we were mentioning at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus said he's always going to be with us. I bring this up because I had a patient one time who, uh, in the midst of this, was creating their, their own chaos. Uh, one of the things that they were experiencing was they were looking at social media outlets and they were looking at things that were going on and they were feeling distressed. But really what they were feeling was they felt like they were inadequate because all of their friends and everybody was putting up these great pictures and they felt like they didn't measure up. They felt like their life was not as good as them, but the reason that they felt that their life wasn't as good as they felt that they had personally failed. They felt that if they would have done things differently in their life, they would have had a much happier life of what they imagined to be a perfect life because what it really doesn't mean to be perfect. We're all going to have different experiences of that, but they felt that they were so inadequate that they wanted to start to create a life. And so they started putting up pictures that weren't necessarily accurate to their life. They started, you know, making comments of things that were happening in terms of how positive their life was and how great they were doing. And none of this was necessarily the truth. They were they were putting that out there because they were hoping to get, I guess, uh, what people call likes. They were hoping to get people responding to them. And sometimes we're waiting for these responses from people uh, and we want people to respond to us. And based on people's response is all of a sudden how we feel that we're valued, that we're important. Well, this patient kept doing that. And actually fell into more and more despair because even though they were doing that, they weren't reaching out to people personally and they weren't getting a whole lot of response in the, in the uh, social media uh, aspect of things. You know, they were putting things out and they get a few comments here and there, but it seemed to never be enough. Um, and this patient actually went into so much despair. They were a teenager at the time. They were in high school. So in high school, it's very common to feel very impressionable and wonder what do our friends think and what are they saying and what are they saying about me? Um, and she believed that there were rumors going on about her, which were never truly confirmed, but could have, could have not been true. Um, she believed that there was 
uh, all these people had something against her because they weren't ex- responding to her pictures or responding to her comments. Um, and in a way, she started to create her own chaos where there, where there really wasn't any out of this idea that she wasn't good enough and that everybody else was so much better. You know, in society right now, sometimes it seems that way. We, we forget to take a step back and look at our own lives and ask ourselves, okay, well, what is positive in my life? What is it that I'm doing well or that's happening well for me or that I can improve on, even if I'm not in the best of situations, but what can I improve on to make my life better? Or do I need to rely on what's going on outside of my world um, to get better? Do I need to rely on you know other people's opinions to improve? Well, this girl felt so distressed that she decided she was going to cut her wrist. And I was uh, on call a night and it just happened to be a coincidence. Um, and I got the call and I answered the phone and sure enough, she had tried to cut her wrist and her parents found her. Luckily, um, she had actually come out to the living room cause she got scared. You know, she tried cutting her wrist. It wasn't deep enough. Luckily it wasn't, uh, uh gonna hurt her. She wasn't going to truly end her life the way she, that she did it. Uh, and the parents saw her, but they took her to the hospital anyway. They gave me a call and we took care of her and we made sure that she got adequate treatment. Um, but the reason I mentioned this is she ended up being okay. She she didn't end up completing the suicide, but the attempt was there. The idea was there. And if I once I talked to her afterwards when she got out of the hospital and she came back, um, we talked about what happened. And really it was surrounding all this despair, all this distress that she had essentially created for herself. Um, because when she was in the hospital, all of a sudden she found out that, you know, her friends were worried. She found out who her true friends were. I guess she wanted to have more friends than what she had. But after this experience, she started to learn a little bit more and realized that she had a good number of friends. You know, they were worried. They were riding her car. They hoped that she got better. And none of them were really aware of how much in despair she was because they didn't feel her situation really called for that. They felt like they were there for her. Um, that they would go out and they would do different things. But she had created this world in her mind out of the social media aspect, out of what she interpreted as what was important and what she interpreted as were inadequacies on her end, which nobody else really saw. And so this is where it's important to remember when we take that step back, what is it that we're really feeling? Uh, If I am feeling inadequate, how accurate is that thought? Um, You know, she, she went in, she went to the hospital, she got taken care of, and she got some good perspective in life. And even though she didn't complete the suicide, one of the things that we worry about are what we call accidental suicides, because sometimes people will take pills or they will try to hurt themselves, hoping to see if somebody really cares about them or looking for attention. Um, in her case, that might have helped her to get some of the attention. But what I, we let her know, what I let her know, what her parents let her know is if she continued to try to get attention that way, even if she didn't really want to hurt herself, she might end up in a situation where she might accidentally complete the suicide. You know, she might accidentally cut herself in such a way that there's no way to help her. Or sometimes people will take pills and they'll take a certain number of pills, hoping that they'll just go to sleep and, um, you know, wake up, but give somebody else a scare and attention. Um, and then all of a sudden, if they're not careful, they might just end up completing that. And that's really scary. You know, it's scary all around. It's scary for for family, for friends, um, and really for your mental health provider as your psychiatrist. I never want to see that happen. I mention this because sometimes we create our own despair, but sometimes we're not aware of the people around us who might be in despair, who might just need a kind word. You know, a lot of times we go through our, our own lives and that's okay because we got to take care of our business and we got to take care of what we're doing. 
Um, but it's important, especially in these times, to sometimes not forget to just reach out with a kind word, to look around us and, and just say hi to somebody, or call somebody up just to say hi and see how they were doing just out of the blue. Um, we forget that because we get busy, and it's, and it's just the way things are. We get busy in our own jobs, our own lives. Uh, we get busy in terms of you know, keeping up with our own media and things of that nature. But it's good to take that step back because we never know when we're going to be that voice of hope for somebody. We never know when we're going to be that voice of helping somebody feel more at ease or less anxious or a little bit less depressed. You know, a lot of times it's easy to feel like we don't mean much or we don't mean anything or it's, it's not easy to see, you know, where Jesus is in our lives, even though Jesus did say he's with us throughout time, sometimes it's hard to feel that or, or to see that. So we might not feel as connected, shall we say. But we always got to remember, and what I always like to go back to is that we are the body of Christ. So if I do something and you do something for me or I do something for you, we're working and we're allowing Christ to work through us. And we can never forget that because it's very easy to fall into despair. But at the same time, it's very easy to help each other out. And we'll talk more about that when we come back. We got Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest. I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, you that's know, right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this. And I just want to call all the people, you know, I've got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We gotta, we have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old, 29 years old, five kids, and I thank you guys. But everybody else, man, get on fire. Fight for the truth, man. I know what I'm telling you guys. There's I no love it. Out there. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. 
Welcome back to the show. I want to thank everybody who's listening and who's supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Such a wonderful, wonderful way to reach out to us and to have people listen about the faith and really feel connected. And really, I think that that's one of the important things that I'm talking about today is feeling connected. I know that we've been talking about some heavy uh, topics, and I want to always end on a positive note because even though sometimes people are feeling depressed or in despair, there's always some positivity. Um, The first thing that I want to make sure that I mention is that if anybody is feeling that way or if anybody's feeling like, you know, things aren't uh, going their way and if they are thinking about ending their life, I always like to give out the National Suicide Hotline out. Uh, That number, let me read it off, is 1-800-273-8255. Again, it's 1-800-273-8255. And that's a national number, so you can call that from anywhere in the States, anywhere you are. Uh, Just reach out if you're feeling like you're you're not feeling good, you're feeling depressed. You don't even have to be at the point of hurting yourself if you're thinking about it, if you're if you feel like you're going in that direction, feel free to call that number, 1-800-273-8255. Um, but in the midst of that, how do we start to feel better? Because, you know, uh, there's always going to be things in our lives that don't go well. That's just part of being on on this planet. You know, we don't have perfect lives. We don't uh, uh, have perfection here. And we're not supposed to, you know, if we read our our Bible and we know our faith and we follow Christ, this isn't where we're supposed to set up our treasures. Christ tells us that don't set up your treasures where moths and steel, you know, moths corrode and thieves break in and steal. We need to set up our treasure in heaven, which is going to be our, our eternal home. But while we're here, what kind of reassurance do we have? Because as things might not go our way, how is it that we're going to start to feel like, you know, we're going to we're going to do better? How is it that we're going to feel like we have Christ with us as he tells us? One of the readings in the Bible that I always like to go to, one of the books is the book of Psalms. Um, and the psalm that I always like to turn to is Psalm 91. And this is a psalm that we use in our deliverance ministry. We use this when we want to help people to remember to turn to Christ, um, whether they're feeling in despair because of mental health or because they feel that they're being spiritually afflicted. Um, Either way, we have to ultimately turn our hearts, our minds, and our souls to Jesus Christ. Once we do that, that's where the real healing starts. Um, In terms of mental illness, we start to look for something positive. We start to look for something that goes well, because we notice that we could feel like we're in despair, but as soon as things kind of start going our way, we start to feel better. We start to feel happy. We start, we feel respected or, or well-loved. Boy, we start to feel pretty good. And we might not, the world might not seem so bad as, as it seemed at one point. But a few lines from Psalm 91 that I'd like to touch on, um, because I think especially in this time now, um, it can be very hard to remember that the Lord is there for us. But one of the things to remember is that we have to be there for the Lord too. We have to be ready to open that door because if we don't open that door, Christ isn't going to be able to work for us. So the first line that I really like from, from Psalm 91 is he who dwells in the shelter of the most high, who abides in the shadow of the almighty will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. One thing to note about that, you know, we use this, like I said, in deliverance, um, that first passage tells us that the person has to dwell there. When we think about that, the psychology behind that, I always like to look as a mental health professional, I like to look at the psychology behind the readings of the Bible. And in order to dwell somewhere, we choose where we live. So if I'm going to go dwell in the shadow of the Lord, I have to somehow pick up real estate there. I have to make a decision as to 
how am I going to live there? How am I going to pay my rent there? How am I going to you know, pay my mortgage there? What, what does it mean to live in the shadow of the Lord or the shelter of the Lord? Um, if I'm gonna, I, don't, I can't just go up to somebody's house and say, hey, I want to live here. I got to know the person. I have to, uh, or, or I have to have somehow uh, gotten funds so that I can pay either the mortgage, the rent, the property tax, whatever it is. I have to prepare myself to live somewhere. So if I'm going to live in the shelter of the Lord, that means that I have to show up. You know, we, we forget sometimes and we think that, well, you know, God's got to take care of all this. Well, God is going to take care of us. He is absolutely going to take care of us. But we have to take that step. We have to decide to live in that shelter. Kind of like the prodigal son. He had to decide to come back to live in his father's house after he had left. So we got to make that decision. We got to decide, am I going to live in the shelter of the Lord or not? Okay, I'm going to show up at the doorstep. All right. And so once we're there, then it says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under the wings he will, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. So now I'm living in the shelter of the Lord. He's my landlord. He has to make that shelter uh, appropriate to live in. I'm going to go live there, which means that I'm doing my part. But yeah, if, if it's his shelter, then he's going to protect me while I'm there. There's no question about that. So it's very reassuring to know I got to make that decision. I might not feel good. I might not you know, think things are going my way. I might think that I'm, not, I'm no good or all these things. But now I got to take a step back and ask myself, how real is that? Where do I want to take that? Do I want to live in the shelter of the Lord? God never turns us away. He'll let anybody come and live in the shelter. But we have to be ready to go live in that shelter. Am I preparing myself to live in that shelter? If that's what I want. It's there. It's there for the taking. There's no question about it. So that's so important. And what do we get in return? We get God's protection. But there's some very important lines, I think, in this psalm. And this is why I think that there's a lot of genius in the fact that we use it in the deliverance ministry, because it really hits home to some of the things that we might be experiencing. So if you look at some of the next lines, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. The terror of the night. We can easily feel like we're surrounded by terror. And at night, what's going on at night? Our senses are not as keen, right? So everything's dark. We can't see as well. We might hear a lot of noises we're not sure of. So our senses aren't as good. It sounds very familiar to me in terms of the mental health world. If I'm feeling depressed, if I'm feeling anxious, or if I'm in despair, all of a sudden it's kind of like our, our mental health aspect, our our senses are darkened. My sense of hope is darkened. I'm starting to feel depressed. I'm starting to feel anxious. I don't see things for what they are because I'm kind of in that dark night of the mental state. I don't see how people perceive me. I worry that people are talking about me or that people don't like me or that I've really gone and just ruined my life and nothing will ever be good. It's very easy and common to feel this way. The reality, however, is different, right? Because if it's nighttime, we're not seeing it. So I can tell my patients, you know, I realize that you're feeling depressed and I know what you're feeling depressed about and that's fair, but how accurate is that? If it's not as accurate, they might be in a kind of a nighttime um, uh, mode mentally where they're not actually seeing what's happening. We got to bring back that hope, but in order to do that, I got to put in my part. I got to realize maybe I'm not seeing things for what they are. Maybe it's, it's the middle of the night and I don't see it, and I feel like there's a whole lot of terror. So that's fair. But when we abide in the shelter of the Lord, even though that terror comes, 
we're not going to fear it is what it tells us because we know God is taking care of us. The next line, which is uh, on, on Psalm 91, the verse number seven, you know, this is very, very telling and, and it rings true a lot to what people are experiencing in today's society. It says a thousand might fall, may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your habitation. No evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. Sounds like there's a whole lot of chaos going around us. But when we're with the Lord, mentally speaking, we are going to be at peace. Right? That's really the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is not to have the, all the riches in the world or to have all the modern conveniences or anything along those lines. Those are great. Those are great to have. It's great to have conveniences. It's great to not have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. And if we're lucky enough to have that, that's wonderful. But really, ultimately, our goal is to, is to be at peace. And if we're at peace, then we get a feeling that it really doesn't matter what's going on around us. 10,000 are falling at your right side. And, you know, there's all this chaos going on around us. A lot of people are worried about diseases right now and how many people are dying. This is true. It's, it's enough to be concerned and we need to take care of ourselves and each other. We're also worried about chaos in our society and what that means. And really, ultimately, what we got to remember is that when we are in the shelter of the Lord, chaos is going to happen, but we're going to be at peace. And even if peace comes for a little while around us and to the world, we know that there's not going to be lasting peace. There's not going to be lasting peace on this earth. But if we're with the Lord, we're going to start to experience some of that eternal peace. Even here on earth, we're going to have that sense that we are at peace, that there is hope, and that we put our hope in the Lord. So because we have made the Lord your refuge. That's the ultimate situation is where we make a decision and we've decided, you know what, even though I'm feeling this way or I'm thinking this way, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to challenge my thoughts and I'm going to give myself some hope and believe that God is going to take care of me. Now, it might not happen overnight. It might take weeks. It might take months. It might take years. But if I start putting my faith in the Lord, then I pretty much guarantee that good things are going to start happening. It might not be the way I think of it, but it's going to be in the Lord's way in the Lord's time. And that's always better. I see so many people, so many of my patients who, um, once they start deciding to go back to church or get back into their spiritual lives, they start to notice that their life improves. That's not to say that they don't have to keep taking their medication for depression or anxiety. I never recommend stopping that necessarily, depending on where your mental health state is. Sometimes we can, we know, sometimes we can't. But I always say, you know, I don't have better medication than Christ. And as long as you start incorporating Christ in your life, you're probably going to start to notice that there's going to be more elements of peace coming into your life than you could have imagined. Um, and so there's a line here. The final line I wanted to touch on was, this is, this is a line that's so important um, because when we abide in the shelter of the Lord and I said, you know, God's going to take care of us, what does that mean? He's going to set up that security for us. Um, there's a line here in Psalm 91 that I think about. And it's line number four, verse 14, because he clings to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. There's a few elements there that are very important. You know, uh, this is the Lord talking to us. And the Lord telling us that when we cling to him in love, he's going to deliver us. I always want people to remember that when we bring our love to the Lord, it's not in vain. He's always going to help us. He's always going to make sure that we have what we need. And when we do that, he's going to take care of us 100%, even in the midst of chaos. So I always wish you good faith and good mental health. 
St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.